Hello and welcome to University Registrars Talking About Stuff. This is a series of podcasts featuring two university registrars talking about higher education matters. Dave Hall of the University of Leicester and Paul Gratrix of the University of Nottingham talk through a number of topics, including the role of the registrar, some key responsibilities of the job, and Dave's career trajectory from the army, rebellion in the ranks, and then to sabbatical officer and ultimately university administrator and registrar. The shared Warwick experience, both registrars worked at the University of Warwick for a period, and their very small part in organising the visit of Bill Clinton to the university and other aspects of the Warwick Way are also covered in this podcast. There's a surprising encounter with Jeremy Vine, along with some other perhaps rather curmudgeonly observations about life in higher education today. Do enjoy. So this is um, uh, a podcast which as yet doesn't actually have a, a title, but the working title is Registrars Talking About Stuff, and there are two registrars in the room at the moment. One is Dave Hall, who's registrar and chief operating officer, to give him his full right. title, at the University of Leicester, currently, although we'll be moving to the Open University um, in a few months' time. And I'm Paul Gratrix, and I'm registrar at the University of, of Nottingham. And we're going to talk about higher education stuff and um, uh, see where it takes us. There aren't many podcasts out there with registrars talking about anything to do with higher education. There is an American one uh, from the Association of American College Registrars and Admissions Officers, or ACRO. Uh, they talk about registrarial stuff, uh, but it's a bit American um, and you know a bit serious. And I think we're possibly not quite as serious or as capable as the acro people. But we'll find out, won't we, Dave? Yes, we will. Yes. So um, one of the things that I always get asked is, is what, what do you actually do? What is a registrar's role? What's it all about? How do you fill your time? So when people ask you at you know, dinner parties or awkward social events, what do you do? What, what do you actually tell them? Oh, well, I was thinking of describing the, the role in the context of day to day. I think most of my time is actually spent um, being asking questions or being asked questions. It's a very um, person-focused experience. It, 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 uh, at times, it extends from feeling like you are um, uh, uh, someone who is trying to help people with all of their problems. I was going to say agony ant, but I don't know what's that's an appropriate <laughs> phrase. But uh, th- that's sometimes how it feels. And trying to um, get people to be clear about what, they're, what it is they've got an issue with. And so, almost trying to draw out of them something that isn't uh, necessarily apparent. So it's... it's um I mean, agony ant is one way of looking at it, but I mean, it's, that sounds like a kind of very much a kind of facilitator, um, constructive critic, helpful friend, um, uh, you know, kind of um, almost a, a, a kind of literary critic kind of role. Or are you doing it face to face? So it's a, a, bit doing a, lot of, a lot of it's face to face. A lot of it, uh, obviously, these days are uh, over email. But it, it, uh, what I was trying to emphasise is the personal right. interrelationships with others, which takes up 80% of the job. And what's, what's uh, if we come on to things that are frustrating, what's distinct about the job, I think, from of others which might where, where I think you can get quicker satisfaction, is you can never really see what you've done or achieved. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very long game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and a largely invisible one. Somebody might say thank you. 
um, but you can't see a, a nicely carved cabinet at the end of it or anything like that. Um, and it's uh, and it's not always known that that's what you're you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so it's a job of infinite subtlety. Then is I think what you're what, what what you're suggesting as well. I think it is. I don't think it's about um, just telling people what to do and issuing instructions or um, asking for information. You're trying to get other people to do the right things, yeah. find information for themselves, and to come with to, with to you with both the problem and their thoughts on a solution. Yeah. And what they're asking you to do is, in a sense, sense check it. That's in an ideal world. There'll yeah. be other colleagues, of course, who come to you and and uh, you know they just want you to um, sort sort something out for them or, or give them clearer direction. And that's fine. That's all part of the job as well. Um, it's just a lot of that and less of actually doing something. I feel I've actually done something. If I've crafted a paper for a committee, that feels like I can... And I do that these days far more rarely than I used to. Uh, no, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, one of the reasons I started writing a blog was because I was conscious I, I, I didn't write anything these days, hardly. Um, so, you know, I used to write a lot of papers when I was earlier in my mm. career, but... I was worried I would, wouldn't be able to keep writing if I didn't keep writing, um, because you're just editing other people's stuff. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you say you, you do a lot of face-to-face. -face. I mean, in the electronic age, an awful lot of stuff seems to be online, email, you know, um, uh, various electronic communications. Yeah, I don't know whether I'm overstating this, but, but even when, when I'm dealing with emails... It, no, normally all the information that you need isn't there and I don't mean that's about facts it's about why is someone expressing something in a certain way yeah. why is somebody frustrated uh, why are they struggling with something uh, why have they got a certain per perception on something or somebody and it's getting behind um, it's getting behind whatever it is superficially facing you yeah yeah. That's more about understanding people's motivations, their fears. It normally, a lot of the challenges, and uh, when you've got staff who uh, may be struggling with a role or um, frustrated in their job, there will be things around uh, uh, power, status. Uh, tiny things can upset people. And I think I have to be careful how I handle colleagues, but often it's colleagues come to me because they've been slighted by someone. Yeah. In ways sometimes you think, well... And helping them look at it from a different perspective, that everybody isn't out to get everybody else, although it can feel like <laughs> it sometimes. Um, it, it, it's just the, the banging together of people. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of banging together goes, goes on in higher education. So on that, on that point about power then, um, I, mean, I mean, I always remember, uh, and we will talk about this at some point, but um, the... One of the things John Baldwin, who's former registrar at the University of Warwick, always said when people asked him, well, John, you know, what, you know are you ever going to be uh, a vice-chancellor? You know, because very few registrars do go on to yeah. be vice-chancellor. And he, he always said, sort of half-jokingly, I think, you know, why would I give up all the power? <laughs> um, I mean, there is a perception, isn't there, that registrars are, like, really powerful and, you know, pull all the levers and pull all the strings. So I, I, I have to say, I've never felt that. I, I don't know how you see it. No, I don't... Uh I don't think that's uh, fair or reasonable. D, I think there's a, there's a context when you have got responsibility. I'd rather think of it in that context than, than power. Uh, you carry a lot of responsibility. 
in terms of um, uh, that the staff, your colleagues, certainly in the professional services, feeling that there's someone on their side, mm -hmm. uh, that there's someone who's got a clear view about what the uh, the general role and direction and strategy for the services are, as well as for the institution, someone who can articulate how the work of the professional services fit in with the with the academic mission of the institution, how we enable it. I think they're looking to you for all that. Yeah. And as I say, they're looking for you to be on their side at times as well. There's a lot of times when there's criticism is unfair, obviously sometimes when it is perfectly reasonable. But um, it's that responsibility is, I feel that much more strongly and, and heavier uh, uh, weight than thinking that I've got power. I've got power in the sense that I can decide to come in 10 minutes late and leave 10 minutes earlier. So, you know, but the, it's almost as trivial as that at times. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did you end up in your role then? Because you, you um, recently published a, a wee biography on the AHUA website, um, but it, it didn't, uh, which explained a bit of your career trajectory, but it didn't really explain how you ended up where you are. I was, I was arrested um, at one point, and the judge gave me a couple of options. One was 10 years in uh, Wandsworth Prison, I think it was, and the other was to serve in a university administration. So it's a pretty stark choice. <laughs> and uh, and I, I took prison, but he had no sympathy with me. And he, he, he sent me off. The, uh, yeah, how did I end up where I am? Um, when I, first, when I uh, left... Uh, when I was at school, from at my earliest stage, you want me to go back that far? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah. My earliest memory always dreamed. is of uh, it was to join the army. Yeah, I felt it was important that we all learn how to kill each other, <laughs> and I wanted to get an early experience of that. Um, so other people just played with soldiers. Yes, yeah, yeah but, but I was uh, I was dressing up and everything. <laughs> um, I had a chair leg, in which you know um, I used to rush around the garden uh, shooting neighbours. The uh, and. So when I was at college, uh, and I wasn't interested in getting A-levels or anything, I just yeah. wanted to get in the army and I didn't need, I didn't need uh, any academic qualifications. However, I trundled my way through college and, through, through, and um, got a couple of A-levels. Nothing that would get me into a good university these days. And uh, instead, um, you know, I had a row with a girlfriend and walked into an army careers office. <laughs> so no doubt this is how these things happen. I couldn't speak French, so the Foreign Legion was out of the question. Um, <laughs> And uh, it ended up, li literally, you, you know, you go into an army careers office and a few weeks later you're, uh, you, you can't turn back sort of thing. So I went into the army and then realised after uh, a couple of years that, that it, it, was, it was dull, if anything else. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you didn't get to kill anyone then? Uh, I don't think so, actually. No, it's probably for the best. Yeah. We, um, it, it, get, it gets a bit re repetitive, because I was only a, 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 an infantry uh, soldier, and I didn't particularly want to progress. And actually, I became quite politicised, mm. and I was quite interested in the troops out movement. I got involved with some. That's a bit difficult if you're a, a troop <laughs> in <laughs> and you're interested in the troops out. Yeah, movement. well, we'd gone, we'd we'd spent time in Belfast, and and I was sceptical about the, the the reasons for us being there, and uh, and got involved with uh, writing to Crass. Remember that? Oh gosh, yeah. So I wrote to Crass, and and had some really. Uh, thoughtful correspondence with them, <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but but that, that inspired me to actually get out of the university, get out of the army, and go to university. At the time, I thought I'd try and apply to the open university. Yeah. Funnily enough, but I was too young. You had to be twenty-one at the time. Yeah, to be mature. Yes. So um, I had a very helpful army education officer who um, 
uh, took me through the process and I ended up applying to the University of Reading. In the meantime, um, I was go on a promotion card to, to be a, 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 lunch, a lunch jacket, a corporal. And um, as part of that process, you had to write an essay. I mean, most of us, certainly a lot of the other chaps, hadn't written an essay in their lives. And my essay was based on why we, we needed to get out of Ireland and why, why Britain was a fascist state. And obviously this caused some concern <laughs> in my, with my commanding officer. Yeah. And uh, I was pulled off exercise to go and see him. And, um, uh, they, they, you know, not everybody was happy about what I'd uh, done. And he, but he was actually, he was sympathetic. He, he was supporting me going to university. He suggested I read Rousseau or something. I mean, it was, yeah. and, um, you know, they, they waved me off. And in the end, I brought myself out and went to, went to Reading. And when I was at Reading, I, I was expecting a really politicised environment because I was all good yeah. for that. And of course, it wasn't like that at all. It was all very downbeat and home counties and all that sort of thing. And, um, I had a promise. And this is the mid eighties. This is the mid eighties. So post minor strike and yeah, yeah, it was it was very quiet. And, and I had a, I'd left the army when I promised from a from a sergeant, Sergeant Patterson, who we we fondly called Kill 'em Dead Patter. Um, and he had said, "Look, Dave, we we obviously we've known each other for a number of years, but but if if I'm guarding a nuclear weapons site, as we did at one point." And if you're protesting, I, I will have to shoot. <laughs> I said, oh, thanks. It's, it's good of you to be at, yeah. at, at front about it. At least you know where you stood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, once, so when I got there, yeah. I, um, I ended up standing for president of student union. Yeah. And uh, on, a, on a ticket of no cuts, students against cuts and all that sort of thing, and, and was involved for a while with the Socialist Workers Student Society uh, because they were prepared to go and put my leaflets out, which was very kind of them. And uh, then I got elected to the student union presidency at, uh, in 1989 at Reading. And then you immediately compromised your principles uh, in order to uh, take, the, uh, <laughs> take the shilling of the, uh, the vice-chancellor, I assume. The, um, well, it was a good time. It was a time when, when, loan, when grants were just being yeah. abolished. So yeah. there, was a, there was a massive demonstration in uh, London. Yeah. And uh, this was my first experience of the horror and misery of leadership because we went all we all but took a couple of coaches yeah. of students down to london and it was where it was the battle of westminster yeah, yeah. i don't know whether you remember that oh yeah and uh, we all we all get off the coach and um of course no, no one knew where to go and they expected me as the union president to know where to go <laughs> and it was that moment of dawning horror when everybody was looking to me to know what to do and that is the job thereafter you know that the people look to you uh, to know what you're supposed to do. So presumably you hadn't bothered to check what was going on. <laughs> so you learnt a very valuable lesson about leadership from that. I think it, may, maybe there was a clue that I might one day be a registrar because I had taken an A to Z with me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's very, very prescient, very prescient. So you did that for a year and then and then you started working at the university or a different university? Yeah, I worked, so I worked here at Reading for a while in the accommodation yeah. office. And this was a time when uh, we used to recruit too many students uh, for the number of bed spaces yeah. we've got, so that when some students left, you could always keep your bed spaces full. Obviously, that became a scandal, but <laughs> I was working the accommodation. Yeah, office. very practical. Yeah. And uh, actually, during that time, um, Jeremy Vine came round to interview us because we were, we were having uh, students being put up in family homes. We had to oh. advertise locally, say, please, can you take in a student because we've, we've over-recruited. Everyone loves those stories, yeah. And uh, Jeremy Wine came round and we went to uh, uh, the house of a, a woman who was acting as a landlady. Yeah. 
And uh, she got young children, and the children had put all their paintings out on the floor in the oh, kitchen. Very nice, nice. lovely. And she said, "Mind the paintings." And so Jeremy walked right across all. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> they stuck to his feet. Oh, whether he'll, he'll, he'll remember. I, 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 I'm sure it's etched on his brain. Yeah. But after doing that, um, I applied for a number of jobs, and one of them was to go and was to work at the University of Warwick. Yeah, and uh, that was for the grandly titled. Administrative assistant. That was in the days when everyone had to start as an administrative assistant, yep. didn't they? Yeah. And you had to work yeah. your way up till you were um, administrative officer. Girls, yeah. <laughs> and then it was assistant registrar, then senior assistant registrar, yep. and then goodness knows what happened next. Yeah. So that was uh, that was first job um, was uh, working on the distance learning MBA program yeah. for the University of Warwick, and my God, was it dull. What, even duller than the army? <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, you had to uh, check, check the application forms, make, make sure that the students were earning enough money and stuff like that if you yeah. want to let them on the distance learning MBA. But that, that, it got better very quickly and the, the job expanded and I worked in admissions. And, so yeah. how many different jobs did you have at, at Warwick then during your time there? Um, I worked uh, the distance learning MBA, then I was working at the undergraduate admissions then I had a broader portfolio around uh, around stu uh, undergraduate students more generally their, administ their administration and uh, planning resource allocation then I finished as director of the research um, development office. So about kind of four or five different because mm. well, I mean we overlapped a bit which we'll come on to in a sec but um, I mean I had seven jobs during my my oh, time there in eight oh, years yeah. and I mean one of the strengths of the you know the Warwick model was the moving yeah. people around although you know it's something some people are sceptical about but actually for those who are the ones who are getting the varied experiences it's incredibly valuable and it's certainly getting that variety of roles I certainly found massively beneficial. And you don't know at the time that's what's going on. I guess no. it's similar to civil <clears throat> servants. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I think what was what was distinctive about the Warwick model is that the you had the senior managers, people, you know, registrar, Mike Shattuck downwards, were all engaged in a process of identifying talent and then moving them in order to, to help them yeah. to grow. Um, and that was a very, very conscious process. And it's something that I think, you know, that could happen in Warwick at that time and before then, but it's really difficult to replicate now. It is, it's, um, it's very difficult. And I don't know about you, I mean, it's certainly something I've tried here at Nottingham on a number of occasions well, we without should, success. We should plug Ambitious Futures. Um, certainly, Ambitious Futures, you know, is, is, a, is, a, good, is a response yeah. to uh, to that challenge, yeah. Um, and does offer at least some opportunity to gain different experiences within two institutions. When did, uh, you, start? When did you start at Warwick? So I started at Warwick in, um, in 1998 and then stuck around until 2006. So we overlapped, I think, for about three years. Yeah, I uh, left in 2001. Yeah. And, I mean, I... Um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my time at Warwick, although I never, genuinely never felt at home there. Um, it was slightly, because I was commuting from Nottingham yeah. every day, yeah. and I wasn't hang, hanging around for social activities. I just went in, did my job, and came home. I didn't feel I was really, you know, a kind of part of it. Yeah. And, and I, I must admit, all the kind of talk of the Warwick way and, you know, what's special and different about Warwick, I, I did kind of recoil from originally, because I thought, I just don't think this is my experience. I don't think it's right. And also, what the, the thing I didn't like about it, and it had many strengths, which I realise in hindsight, many strengths. I, I, there was an attitude towards the most junior members of staff, secretarial and clerical staff, which was really quite dismissive and critical. And there was a, an incredibly 
hard ceiling between those on the most junior grades and those in the more senior administrative professional grades, where it was impossible almost to break through from one to the other. That's a good point. And, uh, yeah, it was. I remember uh, the analogy being the difference between the... the uh, the, the non-commissioned officers and officers. Yeah. You know, you couldn't you couldn't move from being a uh, or very very few people. I don't know what it's like these days. Could could move from being a, a sergeant to a a, um, a lieutenant because a lieutenant had been to public school yeah. and the sergeant hadn't basically. <laughs> and it's probably similar yeah. these days. And and so you had you had um, as you say um, what would now be grade five staff who couldn't move to grade six because that's where you put the the early career. Um, lieutenants yeah. who, who are going to be, go on and become the, the majors and the brigadiers and that yeah. and that, that, that certainly isn't the, the case now but it, it, I know when I was at Birmingham it became more of a problem that, yeah. that uh, barrier and it was a, it was a real barrier and and I think the attitudes towards those you know people on the other side of the barrier was was really you know at times quite offensive and you know and I you know I, I so I really recalled from that there were many good things about it not least the the mobility issue the variety of opportunity the kind of um, the sense of you know dynamism and possibility um, and I mean, I, I think you know one of the landmark events in my time, something we worked together on, was the, the Clinton visit back in oh, 2000, yeah, yeah, yeah. where uh, the university had something like eight days' notice that Bill Clinton was going to come there and do his final for, foreign, you know, mm. policy address at the University of Warwick. And you know, God knows why he picked Warwick, but anyway, that's that's what happened. And uh, you know, we had eight days to prepare for it. And uh, I think you and I were on kind of crowd recruitment you know, yeah, we had to get the, the fill the Butterworth in. Hall didn't we with students and that was the uh, that was the aim we were just kind of making it up as we went along weren't we that was good that was a very uh, a, a well um, it showed how the administration when it works together and it yeah. can work very fast and you could pull something off like yeah. that yeah no, that was good and it was, a, it was a huge kind of team effort and it was just crazy and uh, I'm glad I wasn't organising it because I, I remember thinking God knows how we're going to pull this off I'm glad I've only got this little job here I felt exactly the same way because we were, we were in, the, in the Senate chamber I think you know with kind of loads of computer emailing people and trying to just sort stuff out for the for the guest list and you know the 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 senior people were all meeting on a kind of constant basis with security forces and uh, mm. you know u.s presidential advisors in the room next door and just kept coming in and out looking utterly harassed the whole time <laughs> and everything kept changing kind of constantly uh yeah so i i kept thinking thank god i'm not part of that and I think that's the uh, some, sometimes the downside of a of a more senior position. This sounds mm. ridiculous, but sometimes it's nice not to know exactly what's going on, <laughs> <laughs> just to be able to do your bit. It certainly is. But I, I mean, I did find work, you know, ultimately to be a very dynamic environment, and you know, some some really great colleagues. Obviously, not just you. you know, there were other people um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as well. But they're still, they're, still around most of them. Still around most of them. But they, they th and and of course, many people who've kind of progressed through and gone on to be registrars, and mm. and obviously, you know, kind of uh, Mike Shattuck takes and deserves enormous uh, credit for that. Um, uh, and he, you know, he did kind of create a cadre of people who did go on to be registrars, all of whom 
him have tried to emulate him in some way <laughs> in some way um, uh, since then. But the things that I remember about uh, about Warwick, one of the things was you know the uh, the pink copies of, of memos because obviously everything was written in those you know in those you know and or typed rather, and you had kind of uh, multiple copy hard copies of everything, and you did a pink copy of everything you wrote, and it went into a folder which the registrar reviewed on a Friday um, to make sure that you know you, you'd been a, a good boy or girl. And I find that utterly bizarre that he would sit there and go through uh, the details of, of what had been written. Um, there was by, a lot, by staff. and that's where we all learnt to uh, prepare a set of minutes. Yes, absolutely. And because you sat with somebody, another colleague, so two, and you learnt from that other person, and they you'd get your your first draft back. Heavily annotated, normally with red pen, that yep. was the style. And, but over time, you learn how to craft a minute. And the, it, it sounds a bit daft, but the, the, the challenge with what we see today, you said sounds like an old grumpy old man, is that if they're not succinct and quick, nobody reads them. So you, you kind of weaken the, the legislative basis on which yeah. you're taking decisions. Uh, you weaken the, the, the history that tells you why a decision w- was taken. And it affects the quality of the decision making if yeah. you can't record um, meetings um, in, in an accurate and concise way. I, I will we'll come back to this, right? Because I think it's a hugely um, a hugely important issue, and I mean, and it is an art which has been largely lost from uh, from today's young administrators. <laughs> um, yeah, we do sound pretty old and grumpy, but um, I think we've got a right to. Um, just finally, then on the War- on the Warwick issue, um, and you know, a lot of people came through that. The, it it was a you know, it felt like a pretty command and control environment uh, to me. It was quite directive, although one did have an enormous amount of freedom to you know to fail, um, and I failed quite a lot. Um, but then I felt supported in uh, in failing. Uh, what I struck me uh, whether you felt the same when you started was um, when you f- were first uh, going to get called into a meeting with, with some professors. Professors, my goodness, do I speak? If, if anything I say, you know, will, I, will I be revealed as a, as a, a kind of lunatic or something? Um, and it was very intimidating until you actually uh, were in the meetings and, and obviously Mike encouraged us to speak yeah. and we had to take... And you knew you did know things and you could speak out yeah. and... And they weren't all intimidating. Some of them were, were clods, but um, uh, plenty enough of them were, were just very uh, entertaining and, and interesting colleagues. But it was very, um, I can remember being worried about uh, going to these meetings. Yes. Yeah. But it was, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've hugely valued my time at work and, and did enjoy it um, immensely. And it was really hard work, but it, it was a, a really great development. Arena at that time, and uh, you didn't and, know till afterwards. Well, no, you, you didn't really know until afterwards. No, um, and you know, moving on from one job to the next within the space of nine months did feel, you know, often like you think you've only just worked out what the hell you're doing, and suddenly you're being asked to do something completely different. On the other hand, it was a fantastic. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed. I certainly agree. I joined, enjoyed yeah. my time, and that moving yeah. around was it was invaluable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll talk more in due course about uh, other things to do with uh, the, the life uh, of the registrar, but um, for the moment we'll we'll stop there and uh, just reflect on you know what a what a great job it is working in higher education. I'm sure you'd agree with me, Dave. There's 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 nothing better than than working in a university, but. 
basically you've only done the army. And well, it's better I, than freezing your nuts off in a trench. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've only ever worked in a pub, so uh, so yeah, it's better than both of those things. So I think we we can agree on that. Well, until next time, thanks ever so much, then, uh, Dave. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. That's all then from University Registrars talking about stuff this time. There'll be plenty more along in due course, and if you can't wait, then please do check out the Registrarism blog on wonky.com, where you'll find lots of higher education comment and fun and games. Until the next time.